and welcome. It's David and Brent again this week. Happy Thanksgiving. We're recording this on Tuesday, the 24th. A little different schedule this week around the holiday. So hoping you're having a safe and enjoyable Thanksgiving. Thanks for tuning in. Want to get you some content that'll be worthwhile for a couple days to look at. Today's the macro economy. Brent, there's one chart that summarizes the macro economy and it's GDP. This is looking at quarterly activity from the same quarter a year ago and a big drop and then an, a steep recovery here. We're still below the 0%. We're still in negative territory initially for these estimates, but about 8 or 9% down was the low in Q2. For a reference point, the Great Recession, of course, was down about three and a half, four percent 4%. So this is one of those charts where you have to change the axis and you have to change it quite a bit <laughs> to capture what happened. And that's maybe what summarizes 2020 the best, a year where we had to change all the axes. Yeah, absolutely. This is a huge decline in economic activity from previous quarter a year ago, just something we have not seen in modern times. I think it's truly unprecedented. Of course, if you watch, read the news, you might have seen something like a negative 39% decline in GDP. That's a different number. That's what roughly what you would get if you would annualize that negative 9% out over the next year. So that number, I think, is a little bit misleading. That's the headline number you've seen every now and then. But this probably more accurately reflects what's going on. And notice we have had pretty steep recovery started. Now, it's yet to be seen how well that holds on. We'll talk more about that in a second. So the short version here is there's a lot of ways of measuring economic activity in the U.S., and everyone sort of has their favorites. But when you see the big numbers, pump the brakes a little bit, that's a measure that's not as widespread or as popularly loose. It has value, but it's right. not a number that is sort of the, the hallmark. So this number for context goes all the way back to 1945. So this is a number we've been measuring and reporting for a long, long time. And I think it's a really valuable one for measuring up context of how big of a hiccup did we have here. Either way, you get to the same conclusion. What we went through is truly unprecedented. I mean, it it was a massive decline in economic activity. So let's talk about this. New problems require new measurements. And so this is a, a measure that I think the New York Federal Reserve Bank, I actually just learned about it. I was listening to one of our, one of my favorite macroeconomists, Dr. Larry DeBoer from Purdue University. He had this chart. I hadn't seen it. So I went and looked it up, wanted to share it. It's a weekly economic index of economic activity. And what we found out is it's pretty rare to have a recession that basically crept up on us in about two weeks. And it created a hiccup where we really didn't know how much economic activity had contracted. When you measure that chart we just saw, the regular data, well into February or August of this year, because we had to get to the second quarter, and then we had to get a full measurement of Q2. And so it took a long time to measure what actually happened. Well, some really smart people hired some even smarter people to create this activity index. And the idea here is we have some things that we have a good idea that occur on a weekly basis or every two weeks, such as gasoline consumption. We've been talking about this for a while. And so that's one of the inputs here. And they are measuring economic activity. And as you can see, we hit the bottom really quickly and we've been recovering. Most recent data is at about negative two and a half percent economic activity. That's pretty encouraging. I mean, we're starting to see the real economy come back now. Of course, we're starting to see more and more restrictions. It's going to be interesting how those balance out with what is traditionally a very active week here of Thanksgiving. So it's going to be pretty interesting to see how that all plays out. 
my son can't go to school because they can't get bus drivers and teachers into the school. So they're, so that's a slowdown. There's not many buses driving around the county, but drove by the grocery store last night or yesterday afternoon and not a parking spot to be found. So it's really? a very interesting dichotomy to see this play out. It's sort of, on the one hand, I think we're headed for a slowdown. And then a few more observations later, I'm like, man, everyone's out and <laughs> everyone's out doing stuff. So it's sort of, this is a great measure to keep an eye on this type of activity. What's going to happen? Brent and I have a lot of questions about the next eight weeks. We're heading into winter. What are the implications for the economy in the holidays? Here's also a number that'll make you see stars. <laughs> this is the federal deficit, and it's measured absolute dollars. And so it's going to look wonky. For context, we're at about $3.2 trillion in deficit spending. You know, we could actually pass a stimulus and push this even further down the chart. For context, the deficit ran as low as about. trillion dollars back in the Great Recession. And the idea here is we've had a big problem and we've thrown big solutions at it. And we've measured that solution in terms of dollars. I also want to point out that we have been increasing deficit since about 2016. So this economy was already picking up some deficit spending. And we can see this in the next chart. This is the federal deficit as a percent of the gross domestic product or share of GDP. For some reference points, we were at 10% during the 2009 recession, got to about 27% post-World War II. We don't have the 2020 data point here, but we were already trending towards a bigger deficit as a share of GDP. And then we threw into $3.2 trillion. Really bad question mark. I mean, the point is we don't know exactly where it's going to be. If you look at $3 trillion, I mean, it's going to be somewhere down in this range. I mean, we're headed toward a... Huge deficit, World War II level type deficit, and depending on, you know, future stimulus and all that kind of stuff. So it's big. It's going to be big. Keep in mind, there's two things going here. One, you increase the spending or the deficit itself. And then two, you contract the economy. And that's going to push this measure really quickly into that direction. Yeah. So that economic contraction is actually in in spite of tremendous amounts of government stimulus. I mean, think of how bad that would have been without the stimulus. Pretty important to keep some of that going until we get some further recovery in economic. So Dr. DeBoer's presentation, it was really interesting because he was pointing out some of the ironies, right? People are buying more cars, but spending less on gas, spending more of food at grocery stores, but going out to eat less. And so the service side, there are some parts of the economy that are doing well, but the service side was getting decimated. So it's interesting to see how that's playing out with the economy and how the spending is impacting individuals, but those individuals aren't spending those dollars where they used to spend them is sort of the, the key takeaway. So unemployment is our next benchmark to keep an eye on. Unemployment got as high as almost 15%. Again, the highest level since World War II, well above the 10% marks for the post recession. And you know, Brent, we didn't talk about this a lot in escaping 1980, shameless plug here, but look at what the unemployment levels were in the 1980s and they're above 10% in during the 80s. So that was part yeah. of that economy, that broader economy struggles that we had. But for today, Unemployment has dropped below 7.5% and starting to see some improvements. It's clear that things are improving, but we've got a lot of structural change too, as you're talking about in the last one. I mean, you think big sectors, travel, entertainment sectors of the economy are going to have major, major struggles regaining employment, even once we do get vaccine, which we'll talk about in a second. I'm going to mention one point here about interest rates. I think Brent and I could talk about this for an entire day. We're in a lower interest rate environment. 
And so interest rates this year are going to be lower than they were last year and the year before that. But I want you to see something that not everyone's talking about, and it's that some interest rates are starting to trend higher. And so here we have the one-year, 10-year, and 30-year treasuries. And the narrative is interest rates are low and headed lower. But look at the 30-year the treasury. It's in the 10-year as well. They've trended higher. The 30-year note is about 80 or 90 basis points higher than the low. And this particular low was somewhere around August. So it's seen some increasing in the last 30 to 60 days. Just keep that in mind. File that in the back of your mind. There is more activity here than what might initially meet the eye, especially in the headlines. A couple things too, though. Remember, 2018, almost all of 2018, we're still... Oh, 100 basis points less than we were for most of 18 and 19. We're still low, but the trend is clearly up. And I think somewhat a sign of the yield curve steepening a little bit, which is probably a good indicator. There's some belief that commie is going to improve a little bit. Exchange rates. Everyone's talking about exchange rates. Someone mentioned the other day, if you had told them at the beginning of the year that COVID was 100% certainty and the economy is going to shut down, they wouldn't have been able to trade that information to make money. And this is the idea here is exchange rates shot higher initially, and then they've settled lower. Now, actually, exchange rates broadly measured are below levels that we saw uh, at the beginning of the year. In fact, they're, you know, if you get really close into the data, they're the lowest level since early 2019. So exchange rates have gone higher. So the dollars become more expensive. And now we've seen it trend lower uh, and sort of backing that out. So Brent, I'm going to let you split the hairs here a little bit. Here's a couple things to, to keep in mind. So this is going to show emerging markets in blue, advanced economies in red. So here's COVID, dollar strengthens, then declines. The biggest declines have been relative to where we were at before in the red, which is the advanced economies. So the dollar is weaker relative to those advanced economies, okay, than it was throughout all of 2019 where there's a little bit of challenges on the emerging market. So a couple things. One, the trend is clearly favorable for ag dollars down. But the second is that, well, we're still above pre-COVID levels on the dollar. So we're not a lot cheaper relative to those emerging markets than we were, say, even in 2019. So we still got some work to do there. But the trend is in the, in the right direction. We have to be careful with blanket statements like the dollar is weaker. So that's going to be good for exports because you got to think about what commodities and what partners and what the relative exchange rates are. If we're looking to ship corn to Mexico, it's going to be a tough sled here. I think we've saw that in earlier posts. So a few things worth noting. This might just be my, my observations. I don't know how much Brent wants to back this one up, but every single time there's a piece of good news out there, the federal chairman, Jay Powell, comes out with a big old healthy dose of reality or cold water. And he's been pretty much begging Congress to pass another stimulus for the last six months. You see the talk about the, the vaccine coming out in the last few weeks. He comes out and says, the economy's not going back to the old economy. There are risks going to be persistent in spite of the vaccine. We... A lot of headlines here, and all of them are painting this picture where he's got a lot of concerns. Two things. One, when the most important economist in the U.S. economy is concerned, I think we should note that. And the second point is, I can't remember in history when there's been a Federal Reserve chairman begging Congress to pass a stimulus quite like we've seen in the last six months. Certainly during the Great Recession, I think the Fed was asking Congress to have 
more stimulus and we, we couldn't get it through. Instead, we got sequestration. And I think uh, they kind of made it clear that that was not really what they wanted. But it seems to be setting itself up for replay. And I think Chairman Powell is really trying to tell people, look, there are a lot of big problems here. And these are problems, frankly, that the Fed is going to have a hard time fixing. So if Congress doesn't act on stimulus, the Fed just doesn't have much else they can do to stimulate the economy in a way that's going to solve the problems that the stimulus could actually solve, a targeted stimulus could actually solve. And so I think he's right in in doing this. And uh, I think there are some things to be really worried about structurally in our economy. Because as you said, I mean, we've got big sectors of the economy that are that are going to struggle. I mean, Amazon's doing great, right? Amazon's doing very well. Their competitors not doing so well, and their competitors employ a lot of people too. And so you've got you've got all kinds of of issues here. And I, and I think you know he's he's saying get the stimulus done. I think he's right. So Brent and I were discussing this before we turn the reel on. I want to note that it's kind of blast from the past. If you're keeping your political appointee bingo card up, I did not have Janet Yellen as a contender for a cabinet position or an appointed position here in the next administration. But it looks like she's going to the Treasury Department. And of course, she's the former Federal Reserve chairwoman. And there's a lot of historical significance to her appointment. I think she's the first female to hold that role from what I read. I think what's most interesting is we haven't seen a lot of former Fed chairs moving over to a different position. So there's going to be two really important economists running around DC and providing their insights and sharing their opinions. Next eight weeks are going to be really critical, I think, for the economy. Are we going to get a stimulus? What's going to happen for the Christmas holiday shopping? All eyes are going to be on that. Travel. These things are all circular, right? How much travel is there going to be? How much spread of the virus is there going to be? How much spending is there going to be? And then it goes all the way back around and around. So this is, a thing a challenging spot. The vaccine, we're going to share a few articles in the next newsletter. Some positive stories coming along on the vaccine, Brent. Absolutely. I mean, I think the efficacy of the vaccine has surpassed, you know, I think even the most optimistic expectations of most people. So it looks, you know, super promising. A different technology used to develop the first ones that were approved. Uh, AstraZeneca is a more traditional type of vaccine. So that's, I think, super encouraging. But I also think we have to be realistic and think about, man, the logistics of delivering this vaccine to the population are significant. I mean, this is going to be a big lift to get this thing distributed, get people inoculated, convince people to get inoculated. My son was talking to me the other night. He's nine. He's asked me all these really interesting questions. You know, what, what's the percent chance you get infected if you take the vaccine? Do you think it's going to work? Are there going to be side effects? What my, he's asking me all these really, really detailed questions. He says, Do you, are you going to get the vaccine? I said, yeah, I'm going to get it. No, no questions asked. I'm going to get it as soon as I can. And I said, are you? And he goes, yeah, dad, I don't know. It just depends on how big the needle is. So I don't know. <laughs> it's a good story but i think it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out there are so many questions and then you know as you think about that recovery just big structural change in travel transportation entertainment all of those industries this last two percent of unemployment to get rid of is going to be really difficult and i think it's still going to be a big slow grind forward but all in, think we sh- we have reason to be pleased that the vaccine is actually coming, and that there there's a reason for optimism there. 
So Brent, I'm going to veer off here, but I'm going to come back. Did you ever see Monty Python in the quest for the Holy Grail? Yes. So at the beginning of the movie, before they have the debate about which is the European or African swallow, the very beginning, there's a horse rider coming on the horizon and the knights are at the tower and they're watching. And I think you hear the song, dun, 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 dun. So they go through that and they keep go. the camera keeps switching between the person on the horizon and the castle and the person on the horizon and the castle. And the person on the horizon really just isn't moving, really isn't moving. And then all of a sudden they're there and the people at the castle like surprised, like how do they get there so fast, right? It wasn't a linear progression. It was all of a sudden it was there. The, the people advancing on the castle were already there. I feel like this is where we are at the vaccine. We've been working on this thing for a long time, months and months. And we spent billions and billions of dollars, this Operation Warp Speed. And it feels like we're about to switch the camera back and the vaccine's not on the horizon. It's going to be in our communities. My understanding is once the FDA gives the approval, 24 to 48 hours later, they're going to start giving people this shot. I mean, they've got plans in place. It's going to be a big task, but there's already plans in place. One of the questions I was thinking about today is, when will we see 10 million Americans get vaccinated, right? Like, when does that happen? Is it the end of the year? Is it the end of January? Is it the end of February? I mean, maybe we should play a lot in things here and actually say, like, when do we think this is going to happen? I don't know the answer, but keep your eye on this because I don't know. It's it's going to start to move really quickly. And it, how many people have to get a vaccine before we start to see a big curb in the virus's activity and its spread? So a lot of reasons to still be cautious, but they're starting to build some some good stories here. Right. You know, you sit here and, and think about, well, if you haven't had it yet, it's kind of not be nice to not get it before the vaccine. I told my wife, I'll probably get it standing in line to get the vaccine. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's exciting. It, it did just kind of all of a sudden, you know, you wake up one day and it's here. So that's exciting. All right. Well, thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you had a good holiday. Again, Check out Escaping 1980 if you haven't already. I'm guessing most of you have already checked it out. It's been really fun to see this come together. We've really enjoyed all the stories. Hearing a lot of stories from people reaching out saying, you know, this was my experience. This is the slice of history that I lived through. And uh, so keep those coming. Keep the feedback coming. Thanks for listening. We'll join you back next week. Thanks.